Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? (laughs) How was that weekend? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I I swear, the weekend comes and you're like, sigh of relief. And then it ends the second later, you know, there's so much downtime. And for some of us, none at all. Um, these days, I swear I've maybe one day off. I'm trying for a little bit more, but it's like the week just starts again. It's like climbing back on a, a roller coaster that you feel like you were never getting off of. Nonetheless, we have a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about celebrities that are on dating apps. That's right. That made some news. Also really important topic, some myths around depression. And now more than ever, we need to be really talking about that as a way to normalize get familiar with it so we can engage others that might be struggling. Really, really, really important stuff. And uh, also some vaccine updates. Why? Well, there's a lot of myths out there and also some misunderstandings. So I want to make sure we're getting the current most important information. Uh, Some of it's actually going to surprise you. I found some of it very shocking, but always empowering to get some information. So um, we're going to be doing that. And of course, DMs. Come on. We love those DMs. If you've got a question for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Uh, bring us some love. Bring us some love. Social media really sets it up for haters to have a uh, microphone. And when you're upset about something, you got no problem, but not everyone's there to send the love. Um, all right. So let's talk about some stuff. First one is I love this. This is <laughs> a pet topic uh, for the pet people. Uh, that old that old uh, mythological statement of, uh, oh, pet smells are the cleanest. They're cleaner than humans. Uh, completely wrong. So let's once and for all set that uh, said that straight that kissing your pet on the mouth is very very unhygienic which to me is a no-brainer I, I i watch my cat and i'm like yeah i don't want what you just put your mouth on on me uh nonetheless some people think that kissing their pet uh or their animal companion excuse me we don't own an animal we are we are a companion to them and them to us um that it's gross <laughs> that's the headline it's really gross don't do it so uh basically here's a quote and this is from a um professor of pathology in laboratory medicine uh dr gardner he says on an overall level of cleanliness kissing your pet's mouth is not good I don't know why this ever was, we were unsure about this. Basically, your pet's mouth is filthy. Uh, Pets use their mouths for a lot of less than sterile activities, the study says, like, ready? Mopping up that spill on the kitchen floor, checking out dead birds on the sidewalk, and of course, sometimes licking excess poop off themselves. Ah, yes. Pet's mouth is coated in all sorts of unsavory specimens, so it's gross to put that on your mouth. Um, Yeah, don't do that, y'all. 
And then basically the study just goes on to uh, creep us out and gross us out more. So we're not necessarily going to have to dive deeper into that. Uh, this is also not a shocker to the feminists out there or the people that are critical thinkers. A new study finds, ready for this, moms with multiple kids get worse sleep. But wait for it. Dad's sleep stays the same. <laughs> That's because the bar's low on a lot of uh, hetero fathers. As long as he, I don't know, pays some bills and shows up every now and then, you get the Dad of the Year Award. Do better. Be a, par be a participant in the uh, raising of your children. It's not that mothers are genetically wired to parent and fathers aren't. That's fathers don't try and aren't given a chance. Um, everyone has the capacity to be a good caregiver. Everyone. We say it all the time with single dads, two dads, two moms. It doesn't matter the gender. People, children need caregivers that love them. The studies show that over and over and over. The number of parents, the, the genders, that adds different factors. Sometimes studies show same-sex gendered couples raise healthier kids. Sometimes it's harder for a single parent. Sometimes it's better if otherwise they were in a very traumatic, aggressive marriage. But nonetheless, kids need a caregiver. And we need both partners or all partners if there's more than two to step up. Um, so I was not shocked to read that. The dad's sleep stays the same. <laughs> and for those that are at home trying to work, kids are at home going to school. It's like the, the amount of workload at home has doubled, tripled, quadrupled. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot on everyone. But we want to step in and we want to help. So anyway, that was a cute little study. Uh, not, not, not a shocker at all. Here's another good one. Um, passengers. Ready for this one? The amount of passengers that have been banned from U.S. airlines top 2,700. And that's what dozens added in the wake of the Capitol riot. That's right, airlines are like, yep, you're on the no-fly list. Some, some of them aren't even finding out until they get to the gate. Um, you try to you know, storm the uh, Capitol and uh, kill democracy, you don't get to fly on our plane. But over almost 3,000 people are on the no-fly list. Uh, that's because people that won't wear masks permanently banned. That's right. You want to infect the whole plane? Nah, you're not getting on our plane. Just the same thing with the democracy comments. So a lot more. That's going to be, I think that number is going to get a lot, 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 lot higher. <laughs> but, you know, don't act shocked. These airlines get to make those decisions. Their goal is looking out for safety. I'm so glad that that's how it goes. And then finally, closing out uh, this segment on yet another study talking about the importance of going outside and connecting with nature. Why is that meaningful? Because some people are going days. That's right, days. Even just hours without connecting with nature. And what I mean by that is just the simple fresh air, some sunlight, stepping outside, which is safe to do if wearing a mask away from others. Please, every single day, every single day. And if due to ability or the climate, Whatever's going on, you can't get outside, open the blinds, let some sun in, go sit by the window, open it, or at least open the blinds, sit by it, let the sun hit you, let some fresh air in. So sit by the window, look out the window. If you can go outside, go outside. We need that. It's, a, it's gonna help our physical and our mental health. Um, all right, coming up, talking about celebs, dating apps, some COVID and depression myths. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Oh, Rachel, how's it going? We're back and uh, okay, I know you're, you're tired of hearing about vaccines and uh, COVID. I am as well. <laughs> Trust me. The only reason why I keep bringing it up is because I'm hearing a lot of misinformation. So please know I'm only bringing this topic up when I think there's some things to clarify. 
there's a huge one we need to talk about. Now, the title is why you need to still wear a mask and avoid crowds even after getting the vaccine. I saw three different Facebook threads where this was being unpacked and discussed. And the reason why I wanted to bring it up on the show is because how many people were saying, whoa, did not know that. Oh my God, I can't believe that. Oh my God, thanks for sharing that. There was a really powerful learning moment online around this. Um, I, I had to dig deeper into this. So we're gonna unpack why. Even if you get the vaccine, you cannot still hit that hit that uh, you know banger down by the beach with hundreds of people. <laughs> uh, so unfortunately, <laughs> for a while, we're going to need to settle into these protocols. Okay, so here's the deal. Right now, we're talking about two different vaccines. So I'm going to start with Pfizer because it's important to separate the two because there is. Uh, Relevant to what we're talking about, there's a minor, minor distinction, but not, not, not so much so. So the first reason is because it takes time for the effectiveness to build up. <clears throat> when you get a vaccine shot, it's not bam, blam, we're done. It doesn't work like that, right? So it takes time for it to build up. And that starts within 12 days of getting the injection. So sit with that for a second. From the time you get the first injection, 12 days, it's starting to build up its efficacy. 12 days. Okay, so it's almost two weeks. So we know that already. So it's two weeks beyond the first shot. However long it takes you to get that shot, you then have another two weeks for the efficacy to slowly start building up. After 12 days and the first shot, it reaches about 52% efficacy weeks later. Okay? Because remember, we're getting the shots weeks apart. 52%. That's not great. <laughs> that means your odds are about 50-50 that it's effective at that point. That is two weeks after you got the shot. Okay, so that's why so far within that window period, you're not good to go. And we need to remember that. We need to talk about that. Okay, that's for Pfizer. For the other one, it's 51%. So it's only about a 1% to 2% difference. So you're still hitting that 50-50 weeks after getting the first shot. That's why you still have to social distance, stay home, wear a mask. And for some people, they're not going to get the shot till May, April, May, June, July. And so we're talking weeks out from that. Okay, now then couple weeks after the first shot, you get your second vaccine and you have to do it within a window period. And that's my first concern is however long it took to get the first one, I don't know how easy or simple it will be to get the second one. You have to find the day, you have to wait in line. Do they have them on hand? I mean, I'm noticing that now. A lot of people that are eligible for the first round are struggling to make get an appointment or they don't have the time to wait in line for three plus hours because that's what I'm hearing right now from clients and family members that meet the criteria. They're in line for over three hours. That's a long day. Not everyone has childcare, the finances, or the ability to do so. Um, okay, so uh, <clears throat> after, the, uh, after the second vaccine, the effectiveness about a week after the second one, so now we're already well over a month out from the very first one, it's about 95%. So that's pretty good, 95% efficacy at that point. And the other one is about 94. So again, it's a very, very minor percentage distinction. So 95 to 94% efficacy rate, that's pretty good. Now, not so good for the people that are in the 5% where it doesn't do that for them, but that's great, okay? So we're already after the first shot, well over a month out. The key here, and again, I have to talk about this, is that it's not 100%. Now, people are saying, okay, that's still close enough, but that means one out of every 20 can still get moderate to severe infections after, with COVID, after the vaccine. So it's still possible. It might just be moderate. Now, here's where I saw an interesting turn in the conversation. It can still possibly be spread to others after you get vaccinated. The vaccinated person could still possibly spread it to others, which means right now, 
based on where we are in the research, we're getting more data. Even if you've been vaccinated, you can still transmit the virus. Only you have been protected, right? Because 94, 95% efficacy rate is for you. But we can't tell if that vaccinated person is still at risk of being an asymptomatic carrier, thereby having the ability to carry the virus and spread it to others. And that's what we're talking about. It protects the vaccinated person, but it could still spread it to others. Vaccines still can mean the person's asymptomatic and can spread it. And that's the concern. And that's why just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean you can't impact others. Now, that's going to create a challenge because people are still unwilling, unwilling to wear a mask to protect others. They're like, well, it's up to me whether or not I'm down to get it. It's like, that's cool, but you can still spread it. And that's, and that's where there isn't any consent on other people's parts. If you're not wearing a mask, then you're not honoring consent and compassion because other people can't choose to not get it from you. You're still passing it along. And same thing with the vaccination. And so this is where it becomes the whole concept of we do have to look out for our impact on others. <sighs> so get those masks. <laughs> get very comfortable with them. We still got a social distance. And we're pretty far out from everything being completely safe and ethical. Because I'm big on ethics. And ethics are really about our character. Ethics are tied to mental health. They all coexist. They all feed into each other. They all intersect. And so if you don't care about other people getting harmed and sick because you want to go party and you want to go socialize, that's an ethical violation. That's of concern to me. I, I wonder about that person's character. I wonder about where those elements also play out in their lives and relationships with other people. So please get vaccinated. Uh, protect yourself and other people. Please then still wear those masks because that's what we're up against. Um, God forbid you be one of those people where you have to go do the work of making sense and unpacking the fact that you really desperately harmed or, tr or transmitted to someone you care about, someone that's very high risk, someone who maybe is low risk and still got it. Now, as far as whether or not the current vaccine is effective against other strains, they're claiming right now, we don't know. They're saying it should be decent. <laughs> I mean, I'm reading really interesting commentaries around it. No one's comfortable 100% saying yes or no. They're kind of just like rolling with it a little bit. Um, so anyway, all right, coming up next, we're going to talk about dating apps. Yep. And, uh, all the celebrities that are on them. I don't know why that's shocking to people, but we're going to talk about it. Everyone wants love. All right. So stick around Uh question night as always up on our Loveline IG page, weighing on that listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about dating apps. Now, there's a couple pieces to this. This is interesting, especially for those people that like celebrity news and gossip, which I don't. <laughs> I think it hurts people. I think it's none of our business. Celebrity gossip is not news. It's not journalism. It's people dishing the dirt about other people's lives. That is unfair, unkind, and none of our business. This is a positive note. And these are all people that have publicly spoken about it. So I'm not calling anyone out or dragging anyone out the closet in terms of their dating lifestyle because that's none of my business or yours. Um, first off though, I want to remind everyone, go on the dating apps right now. <clears throat> there are a multitude of people on them. Everyone I'm working with that wants to have love, sex, romance, relationship is on them. That's a staple of our culture. There's no shame in meeting someone on an app. Work through that. There's no shame in being seen on an app. I don't care what your job is, whether you're a senator, a celebrity, or a therapist, they're all on there, right? Um, I've met all my, all my partners on apps because I'm busy, because I don't go to bars and clubs. 
Um, cause I'm not going to hit on someone in a supermarket. There's nothing wrong with that when done consensually and appropriately, but I'm usually have my headphones on and I'm lost in thought. Right. So, um, get on them. You, you, you deserve love right now. You deserve a little extra fun and joy. You deserve distraction. Don't deny yourself that don't deny someone else that there's other people that could benefit from having met you. You're reminding them you're lovable, you're desirable. Right. And same thing for you. How do you work on your self-esteem date? How do you work on your sexual esteem, body esteem, and self-esteem? Date. Go on the apps. Let it be reflected back that you have worth and value and desirability. Our self-esteem is reflected back to us. It's not an inside job. I can't stand when people say that. It's really unfair. It is reflected back. We will not feel our most robust in the world if we don't have people, community, and things around us telling us we have worth and value. It's really hard to work on it alone, locked away in your closet, or just weekly in therapy, and then re-emerging into a world that tells you the opposite. And so we want to start to remember to be a part of a world that tells us that. Unfollow things that make you feel bad wrong and broken. Stop conversations, build a new social uh, circle. We need a community that looks like us and values us. That's how I've gotten through. Trust me early on in the world, when I was all tatted out, you think the world received that well? Are you kidding me? No way. <laughs> I had to have all those tattooed kids around me when I was in high school to remind me that like, this is acceptable. We were the capital Q queers people around. We were gay queers, straight queers. We were just all over the place. So Get on those apps. Even when you're not on them, you're on them. It's a beautiful thing. Now, I'm not saying everything about them is great. There's a lot of really bad behavior, a lack of care, a lack of compassion. There's racism. There's body shaming. But guess what? It's a microcosm of the wider world. So we got to do work on both elements. Now, what really brought this forward, though, is Drew Barrymore talking about watching a show on Netflix, it reminding her of what she wants. She's back on the apps. Sharon Stone has talked about being on the dating apps. Perez Hilton has talked about being on the dating apps. Um, a multitude of people. And I can tell you from having lived in Los Angeles for over a decade, I can't tell you how many celebrities I've seen on the apps and gone on dates with having matched with them on the apps. Um, it's normalized here. Uh, at times, and Sharon Stone was telling the story and Press Hilton, both of them got booted off initially from Tinder because the companies thought they were fake. People reported them as fake or something and they had to prove and be like, nope, we're here. And now it flourishes. And so, you know, remind yourself that there's amazing high quality people on those apps. The clients in my practice who are some of the most amazing human beings are on those apps. So get on them. Now the other odd side note is I was looking at this interesting story and it was just featuring couples with very polarized and opposite body types, shapes, and sizes. Larger bodied with smaller bodied, lean with more muscular gym you know, culture bodies. And I love concepts like that because, and even age gap relationships, someone very old, someone much older dating someone much younger. Um, love can be found in all different ways and you have to get out of your way. A lot of times we think it needs to look a certain way or we want to have it look the way culture has told us. For some people that are females, um, and I'm going to use that word more, and that covers anyone female identified, female presenting, because that's female, they're female. Um, people that are female sometimes think that they have to be shorter than their partner if they're in a heterocentric relationship with a man. No, sometimes you're gonna be taller. Don't give up on love because you're taller. Don't give up on love because out in the world people might think something. Because height difference means nothing when you're at home with your partner. Height difference means nothing when you're sitting at a table in love. Height difference means nothing when you're you know, having sex. Height difference means nothing when you're holding hands on vacation. Same thing with body shapes and sizes, but we, we are so afraid of what other people will think. What would they think if my partner was larger bodied? What would they think if as a female I was taller than my partner? Don't worry about that. Let them think nothing. <laughs> Let them be envious that you found love, but don't hold back because of how it looks. 
But the bigger point I wanted to point out, and the reason why I brought this up, is also to say, don't assume that you can't have someone because they don't look like you and vice versa. Not everyone is interested in the type that they themselves fit into. And I see that a lot here in LA in gym culture. People think, oh, well, that person's a very gym body. They would never be interested in someone like me. Oh, yes, they, they are often. That's just what they want or need to see for themselves. I'm someone who's dated all different shapes, sizes, genders, abilities, all sorts. But I had to do the work to undo all the ableism and, and, and buying queer phobia and, and fat shaming. Right? I had to work through all that and realize that like, I have to be better than that and that I deserve better than that and that everyone else deserves better than that. So get out there, stay open, be better than those norms and those standards and that anxiety, truly, because that's, that's how you stay, get in your own way, truly. All right, y'all, coming up next, DMs. You want to check out past episodes of Loveline? You can do so by going over to wearechannelq.com, listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, this DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, I'm a single mom raising two kids by myself. During the pandemic, I've been under so much pressure and I feel like I'm about to explode. I want to get away for the weekend. And so I asked my mom and my sisters to watch my kids. They scolded me, telling me I was being irresponsible and selfish. Am I? I just need a little mental break, and I know that might seem like a bad time, but I feel like I'm drowning. First off, I want to applaud you for your honesty. I think it's really hard for people in positions where they're caretakers or supposed to be in a position of control, authority, or power to really admit that they're struggling. And, you know, again, we live in a world where physical ailments and physical struggles and disorders are very honored, but our mental ones aren't always. And so I think it's really phenomenal that you're taking the time to focus on that. So you're not being selfish. You're not being self-centered. You're being self-centering. Everyone needs a break. And part of mental health and being an adult and being a good parent is recognizing when you've hit your bar. And just because maybe your sister or your parents were able to tolerate or deal with more doesn't matter. You're you. And we need to live from our needs. Everyone is different. Everyone has different needs. We need to just start knowing that. I hate the whole idea of you know, other people are able to pull it off or we're all this, we're all that. Other people have done this. I've done that. doesn't matter. It's about what you need and who you are and where you're at. You are at a point where you're burnt out. You're at a point where you feel overwhelmed. Honor that. You don't need to explain that. And if they're not able or willing to take your kids to help you out a little bit, then maybe you go to a friend. And if that's not going to work, then you have to find ways. And this is what I want everyone to know. You have to find ways to maybe build it into your current life. Maybe you need to take them from a drive, you know, give them some headphones, put them in front of the television and take a few hours of a nap, go take a long bath. We have to find daily ways to take a break from all of our responsibilities. And that will alleviate some of that. But sometimes we need something more profound. And so I applaud you for recognizing that. And I want you to find a way to do that, knowing that you have my full support. You know, and I'm sorry that your family is shaming you. You know, it's important for us to realize when our tank is empty, when we've used all the energy and self-regulation that we have, I realize that where I now know that, you know, I need every week as much downtime as possible. I need to take time away from everything and unplug and go away. And you need that as well. Being a parent doesn't magically give you some level of resilience that everyone else didn't have. 
and you're still dealing with whatever else is going on. And so, you know, I want everyone to give themselves a break. It's a word that I keep using a lot of, and we're really being hard on each other right now. This isn't a normal standard time. I'm frustrated with schools and employers and other people in positions of power that are not giving people a break and saying, take more time off. Let's reduce your hours. Let's lessen the workload. Let's expect a little bit less. We're in a pandemic. There's a lot going on. People's mental health matters. And you're not a good parent if you're not able to attend to that. And so I want all parents to check in with themselves and say, do I need a break just for the day, just for an hour, for a couple days? What do I need? And do I have access to those resources and take advantage of the ones that you have? But people on the other side, if someone reaches out to you saying that they need help, that they're overwhelmed, please do not shame them. Because if they're saying they're overwhelmed, it doesn't matter your opinions on that, they're overwhelmed. And if they continue to stay in those same triggering, overwhelming scenarios, contexts, and environments, it's only going to get worse. And so if someone reaching out for help or saying they're struggling is something we need to validate, legitimize, and listen to. Otherwise, you are actually then part of the problem. Again, we have to think collectively. Reach out to someone that you know that maybe is overwhelmed and say, hey, do you want me to come over for an hour? And you can get out of the house. Do you want me to come over for the night and you can get out of the house? Do you want me to take your kids for a day or two? Whatever you can offer someone, reach out and offer it. People might be struggling in silence. Ask people, how are you? Give them a safe space to vocalize. Because like this person who sent in the DM saying, not everyone has access to that. Some people are in family dynamics where, you know, they're getting really kind of shamed and pathologized. So let's be there for each other. You know, people, people need us desperately right now and people are doing the best they can, you know? Uh, it bums me out um, because that's an act of mental health when someone's checking in and sharing and saying like I'm struggling. So let's be better about that. It's such a bummer. All right, y'all. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about myths, myths of a depression and uh, question of the night. So there's still some time to weigh in on that. And if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can always do so over at wearechannelq.com. Post them, share them, binge them, go back and re-listen. And uh, yeah, we'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Alrighty, how y'all feeling mental health wise? How is your mental health? Gotta ask you. And we ought to remember, we wanna ask other people that. When you're checking in with people you feel close and safe with, say to them, how's your mental health doing right now? I don't want us to forget that. I haven't brought that up in a while. Again, we're normalizing mental health, right? We're reminding people to center it. We're prioritizing it. And the way we do that is by doing that. <laughs> don't just say, how are you? Because people will reactively just be like, fine, I'm good. Because that's a really common question. And usually people don't actually mean, how are you? And so you have to shift the languaging. And that's why I love the question, how's your mental health? People will go, oh, this person's actually interested. And maybe they're not comfortable at first, right? But we can talk about ours. We can normalize people hearing about it, talking about it. There's no reason why we should have to drop our voices or have shame to say openly or publicly, yeah, I've been depressed. I've been very anxious or I've been struggling with my relationship to you know, drugs, alcohol, sleep. I want us to be able to normalize these things. These are things all of us at some point will encounter. All of us will deal with some level of depression, anxiety, agoraphobia, a fear of going back out into the world. That's something... Wow, that's something I was having a powerful conversation with my older brother about. The fact that a lot of us haven't engaged another person in over a year is going to lead to a lot of generalized anxiety and social anxiety. People are not feeling comfortable stepping outside. And it's not because of a thought process, right, of the world's unsafe. It's because it's not familiar. 
and it's, it feels very exposing. It feels a, like a forced deep level of intimacy that we're not comfortable familiar with. We have to ease back in. You know, I've shared before, I'm in a long distance relationship and every time we see each other, right? I have to re immerse myself in that because otherwise I'm self isolating at home. I'm following the rules. I'm not trying to kill someone by passing along COVID. I'm not trying to get it. I have no interest in catching COVID at all. Right. So we have to, I, I'm worried about that for people. So we want to get that conversation going and normalize it. Like, yeah, we're all in that. And here's how I've gotten through, or we're not even fixing and curing. We're just listening and holding space. So ask that question. How is your mental health? Okay. Having said that, let's talk about some myths versus facts about depression, because a lot of stuff is misunderstood out there. We've got a lot of influencers jumping into the health and wellness field, and some of them are perpetuating some problematic norms and ideas. Um, so the first one, a lot of people maybe think that depression won't, won't hit them, or they don't understand what depression looks like, right? And that's actually not true. The, the, the fact is that depression is more common than you think. Um, 17 million people sit with that number for a second. That's a gigantic number. 17 million adults live with depression. Only about half get treatment though. And that's the problem is for some people it's normalized. Other people, they're afraid to admit it. Other people, they are not willing to talk about mental health. And so they're not ever in a conversation where someone can say, Hey, that's what my depression sounded like. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you should look more into that. Maybe you should get into therapy around that. Right? we don't learn and we don't know what we haven't been able to learn or know. And the way we, we, we learn and, and, and are educated around some of these pieces because school's not, there's no mental health classes in school. We don't talk about it accurately on television. <laughs> and so it's through conversations with loved ones where they'll point out, Hey, that's what mine felt like. That's what mine looked like. I wonder if that's what you're going through. Right. Um, because for some people it's very low level, very functional. Uh, but 17 million adults, isn't that wild? <sighs> So you might not be experiencing you might not be experiencing it, but someone you love may. And so the more we talk about it, the more they can talk to you about it. Because if they have no one else in the world, whoever's listening right now, maybe you be that person that they can talk to. That honestly, that's why a lot of people value me in their lives because I'm that one non-judgmental source. No matter what they tell me, I'm like, wow, tell me more about that. My first thought isn't that's bad, that's wrong, that's gross, that's not okay. I'm like, oh man, I'm sorry you're struggling. I'm sorry you're in pain. Tell me more, right? Um, another myth is that depression, right? And just feeling sad are the same thing and that people should just snap out of it because a lot of people, again, aren't familiar with depression or they don't think that that's very manly. Like, oh, you're a man, toughen up. It'll be fine. You know what I mean? We, there's so many ways that we sling that around or, you know, we use it in a very racist way against black people or people of color. You're not depressed. You're just lazy or people that we want to define as lazy. Laziness isn't even real. Some people are just not interested. They're not they're Maybe they're dealing with a mental health issue. Maybe it's boring to them. Maybe they have other priorities. Maybe they're too busy worrying about getting their basic needs met. Whatever it is, it can't just be snapped out of. <laughs> and sadness and depression are very different. They have a very different feel. Being sad is not the same. Depression's a mental health condition, right? And depression is tied to extreme sadness, right? But then there's also factors that we wouldn't associate with sadness that are some of the key signs or struggles of depression. Issues with sleeping, sleeping too much, sleeping too little. That's not something that everyone would associate with depression. And that's not about sadness, right? Um, loss of energy. People are just feeling kind of flat, not feeling really motivated. And that's the thing. Sadness is usually tied to something, an event. You can pinpoint it. I'm sad. Why? I lost my job. I'm sad. Why? My cat ran away, right? Sadness is usually temporary, tied to something, where depression is often not tied to something. 
and it's more pervasive, ubiquitous. It's always with us, ebbs and flows, but it can have some really powerful behavioral attributes and that's what we need to look for, right? Where most people, when they're sad, they're not necessarily gonna have an issue with their sleeping or their loss of energy. And if they do, it might be because it's actually depression, right? Uh, what are some other signs? Difficulty thinking, brain fog, a loss of interest in things, uh, shift in your socialization, that's a really big one. Um, all right, when we come back, we're going to talk more about this because it's important to both get familiar for ourselves, but also, again, for other people. Mental health is about our relationship to others. And the more we know about these things, the better we can be for them. So when we come back, we're going to keep talking about the myths and facts of depression. Uh, question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveland IG page, so weigh in on that. And uh, if you have anything horrible to say, please keep it to yourself. It's come to my attention that some of the people on the IG aren't always the kindest. Um, you don't, you know, look, if it's not your jam, it's not your jam, but you don't have to share every unhappy negative thought. If you got something positive or constructive to share, we're happy to hear, but if not, we're not. All right, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Hey, hey, we're back talking about myths and facts about depression and just kind of reframe it again because you're, you know, maybe just joining us now. It's important for us to understand the distinction so we can get the treatment we need and we can identify what's really going on. Uh, not just for ourselves, but for other people, right? And we're starting by just normalizing these things. These are things we don't have to have shame or guilt around, which is why I started by saying 17 million people, 17 million adults will suffer at some point from depression. It's a powerful number and it's different from sadness and neither should be something where someone's told to snap out of it. I want everyone to be able to feel their emotions fully. The definition of mental health is the ability to feel every single emotion and deeply and powerfully. We don't want to limit them and say only the positive ones, always be positive, think positive. That's not honest or real or even doable by most of us. If someone is sad or uncomfortable or hurt or anxious, the healthy thing is to let them sit in that and feel that and live that. So we don't want to shame anything. But sadness is very different from depression. Sadness is usually tied to an event. It's more short, it's more time limited, where depression often is more ongoing, it's vague, and it has a wider range and constellation of symptoms. So we've talked about that difficulty in thought, difficulty in shift in your diet, in your socialization, um, in your sleeping, right? It, it has a more profound impact on those pieces. But again, don't tell anyone ever to snap out of something. That's really communication that you can handle sitting in that emotion. Because when someone says that, it's about them. They're like, ah, feel better. It's like they're saying, I'm uncomfortable sitting in this with you. Be better than that for the people around you, especially if you're in a committed relationship. We need our partners to be able to sit in these difficult things with us. That's both how we get through it, but also how we feel loved and cared for. That's intimacy. Intimacy is built in those difficult moments. We will feel closer and, and safer to, with someone when we're able to be vulnerable and intimate. When we have great times and fun with someone, that's great. That is bonding but we actually build more trust and feel safer when we can show our difficult parts. And please know, and most, one of the most important meaningful parts of mental health and relationship is co-regulation, not self-regulation, which is important. You do need to be able to self-regulate. We cannot always turn to someone else to regulate us, but part of being in a fully attached adult relationship is the ability to have someone sit in it with you and help co-regulate, which you'll see when someone puts their hand on you with consent on your shoulder or a loved one on our leg, right? With someone we feel safe and comfortable with or they pull us in. That's a sign of co-regulation or they're holding your hands and looking at you or they're reflecting back. Tell me more. I'm in this with you. I'm sorry to hear that. They're not trying to fix or cure or shut it down. They're actually eliciting more of it, you know? They also are reliable. They circle back and say, how's your day today, right? 
So more myths of depression. Um, like I said, being sad is different from depression. Depression is a mental health condition. It's not just something we should be told to snap out of. That's so unkind. Also not possible. Also, it doesn't work that way. Um, another myth is that people's genetics will dictate this. Yeah, that's not true. Genetics can be a piece of it, whether someone's maybe more vulnerable, right, or not, or some of their skills. But depression is caused by some other factors, right? It can be life experiences. It can be trauma. It can be what we call family of origin, and that's some family history stuff, right? It can be personality. It can be environment. So it's not just genetic, and that's why we can't just lean on medications. They can help some. Um, they can also help us feel a little better to do the work of the therapy. But for those where it's more environmental, you have to work on changing that, whatever that means. If it's born out of an ongoing issue in your marriage or at work or with your relationships in general, nothing's going to fix that but doing the work on changing some of that. And so the work is sometimes changing our lives, changing our lives to remove the triggers or the things that are depressing us or depressive. That is an important part of the therapy sometimes, right? Because depression is a symptom of something. We don't want to just treat the symptom. We want to also treat the cause. What's going on that's leading you to this? And for some people, it's a characterological style, personality style. Some people are depressives, you know? And I feel bad because that's a rough way to move through the world. And they should not be shamed or guilted, you know, that they're always down. You're always sad. Yeah. Empathize with that. How hard and sad must that be for them, you know? Um, another myth, people with depression cannot work in demanding or stressful jobs. <clears throat> we see this with drugs and alcohol as well. I know some people that have applied for jobs or even higher level education and at their interviews, when it was brought forward in some way, um, they were told, I don't know then if you would be able to tolerate or handle this job. Wow. What an unfair statement because someone not being depressed, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're up for the stresses of the job. How about you as an employer, create a job that's actually healthy and not stressful. Why don't you work on making it a safe, mentally healthy place for the employees? Right? Um, so, you know, people with depression, right? Hold jobs in all sorts of fields on all sorts of levels, <laughs> levels, you know? It doesn't necessarily impact someone's personal or work abilities because depression manifests different for everyone. And part of what makes it harder or, or, or um, easier is what social supports they have, what, what access they have to coping mechanisms, what are their resources. And if you're living in a world where you don't have a lot of social connections, you don't have a lot of resources and your basic needs aren't getting met, it's gonna be a lot harder to deal with your depression. And that's why we wanna make universal healthcare accessible so everyone can get you know the healthcare they need. We want to raise the minimum wage so people don't have to worry about their basic needs met, housing and getting their bills paid, right? We want to abolish the prison system and legalize uh, drugs so that people that are struggling can get treatment. Throwing them in jail and punishing them doesn't help alleviate their mental health issues or the addiction. They need treatment and care, right? So it's a larger systemic thing that needs to change. We can't just locate the issue in the individual and think that they just need to fix themselves and all's well. No, the environment with which they live is sometimes the cause, right? And if you're someone who's very exploited and marginalized and you are living in a racist culture and you're gay, so you're living in a racist homophobic culture, it's gonna be very hard to work through depression if it's tied to that. Oh, while also then maybe living in an area that's a food desert so you don't have access to food and you don't have healthcare. Like, it all compounds, it all matters. And then finally, the myth that those impacted by depression don't recover. They do and they can. Sometimes it's about learning to live with better. Sometimes it's about complete resolution. Other times it's about skills to be more resilient in those difficult times. But with proper treatment, 
right? Which sometimes is therapy, sometimes it's medication, sometimes it's changing your environment, sometimes it's doing radical political work, right? Which is on the shoulders of all of us. There can be really positive effects. And that's what I want to remind people is there are ways to learn how to better live with. And that's sometimes what happens is you learn how to befriend it. You learn how to manage it. Not everything's completely resolvable, but sometimes it can be. So um, there it is, folks. Bottom line, we don't want to shame or guilt. We want to be a safe resource, and uh, we got a lot of systemic institutional changes to make. All right, y'all, uh, DMs coming up soon to close out the show. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and uh, now it's time for our question of the night. Tonight's question tonight is what holiday tradition should we get rid of immediately? There's a lot of them. These are going to be good. Let's see what you said. First one, mistletoe. Hate giving my brother a kiss. Yeah, I got to love that mistletoe. I didn't know people still did that. I thought that, that to me, that's something very like 50s and 60s. But again, as always, consent, y'all. No one has a right to force a kiss on you and you don't have to take a kiss. So um, say no or don't stand under it. Uh, other traditions we should get rid of. Someone said the rapey baby it's cold outside song. Yeah, I know that finally got uh, brought forward. Like, Hey, this isn't really consenty. Um, we're, we're, we're changing so much. We are changing so much. True, true, true. Someone else said in general, forcing kids to hug, kiss and accept tickets from relatives when it's uncomfortable. What do you mean accept tickets? But uh, yes, we should not force kids to hug or kiss anyone. We want to train them to have boundaries, cons honors consent, understand it, body autonomy. So it should be a question. Do you feel like kissing or hugging? If not, do you want to just say hello and wave? You know, we want to, uh, children have a right to feel safe and comfortable as well. It's not that adults comfort and whatnot means more and etiquette shouldn't mean more or manners than someone's mental health. And we can't expect children to out of the blue at one age, at some random age, understand consent and boundaries if we don't start teaching it at home from a young age. You have to let kids know that they have a right to decide how their body is touched and how it's seen and who can see it. It's a good one. Question tonight was what uh, tradition should we get rid of? Someone else said Christmas music everywhere. I know it's hard. It can get exhausting. Some people think it's corny. Some people aren't ready for it. Some people just don't want to honor it. It can feel like it's forced on us. I appreciate that. Um, holidays bring up a lot of different stuff for us. Someone else said Thanksgiving. I appreciate that. So yeah, you know, we're, we're working hard on that one, Thanksgiving, letting people know that um, it's rooted in a lot of racism and genocide and spreading of a pandemic. It's I thought we were kind of making strides into that. It's okay to move away from a colonized, uh, white-centric understanding of history. So we can be more honest. It's okay to be honest about what a holiday or a public figure, the impact they had or what, what their work was rooted in. Like, it's okay to acknowledge that, you know? Um, so I agree with that. Someone else said gag gifts. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. It can That can really throw some people off. Okay, I'm hearing you a little bit. Forcing your kid to sit on Santa's lap if they're uncomfortable. That's another one I found creepy. Yeah, like, your kid's miserable. And I know you want that photo, but like, you know, honor where your kid's at. Like, that's very traumatic. I always found that very traumatic as a child. Someone else said focusing on capitalist consumption. Teaching your kids... 
that's how to celebrate. I know a lot of the holidays are centered too much in presentation and gift giving and not enough in, hey, it's just about having time off, spending time with family members. You don't have to spend money, give a gift. You don't have to go over the top with decorations. It's about being together. I, I, we have kind of missed the point a little bit. I'm seeing some people that are overly stressed about uh, time requirements and money spent and they're just not there. And we need to have the holidays done in a way that feels comfortable to everyone. And so some people are opting out of gift giving completely or just this year. I've even talked about how sometimes you choose one person and just one person gets a gift. Talk about traditions. We're talking about the ones that we need to get rid of. Someone said um, family get togethers. <laughs> but you have a right to do that. You have a right to stop going to family get togethers because of whatever it is. It's too big of a financial impact on you. The travel's too far. The family's toxic. You can reorient when. You're allowed to change the date of a holiday. Um, you're allowed to do whatever you want. You can move Christmas. You can move your birthday and say, I want to celebrate it a week after. That's just not the best week for me. Holiday, you know, Holidays should meet the needs of people, not people meeting the needs of holidays. Holidays aren't a, aren't a thing. They're an idea. That's an idea that we made up. You know what I mean? It's not rooted in anything other than history and tradition. And that's allowed to be updated and changed to meet the needs of people, right? So other holidays we need to get rid of if someone said seeing extended family you don't like oh please do not do that anymore bam get rid of that mistletoe again someone said it leads to more awkward moments than romantic ones yes justin that is true <laughs> i again i've never had any i don't know that i've ever been anywhere that had mistletoe i'm that is far outside of the scope of my experience uh someone else said elf on the shelf it's creepy also forced photos of children with Santa or the Easter bunny. There's nothing more unsettling than seeing a horrified child on the Easter bunny or Santa Claus's lap. I agree with that. Wait till they're a little bit older. Maybe wait till they feel more comfortable. Um, the things we do to children. Oh my God. Uh, we're talking about things we need to get rid of that are holiday traditions. Someone said white Santa photos. I agree. Santa is not necessarily one specific race or skin tone, right? We need black Santas, especially if you're a person of color or someone who's black. You want to see yourself reflected back. I, I appreciate that. Santa's not white. He's everything, right? Same thing with Jesus. Jesus wasn't white. But it's fascinating how his representation is always one of whiteness. We understand why, but yes. Other uh, holiday traditions we need to get rid of. Someone said, uh, sitting on an old man's lap. Yes, yes, yes. Someone else said, socks as presents. I think some people don't really know what to do. They go, they go. you know, what's, some, what's something that everyone uses? Most people use socks, not everyone. But I appreciate that one. And uh, finally, let's go with this one. Telling kids Santa's real makes poor kids think Santa doesn't care about them. Wow, well said. You're right. You're right. Not everyone has the ability to participate in that um, in that myth or that celebration of the Santa. And you're right. People that don't have finances are going to feel like they were ignored by Santa. We have to talk more about that. That's actually a really beautiful, powerful perspective, the classism in the Santa story. I appreciate that. <clears throat> All right, y'all. Coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. And as always, the DMs come from our Loveline IG page. So if you've got a question for us, a concern, a thought, an opinion, slide on in on the IG page. Excuse me, and producer Alex will get that question going. And um, don't worry about your questions not being good enough. Everyone is probably considering, struggling with, or worrying about the same thing. So helps all the listeners. All right, this one says, hey, Dr. Chris, what are some things I can do at home to keep my stress levels down. I've tried yoga. I've tried a bunch of different foods, diets, puzzles, crafts, <laughs> you name it. 
but I keep feeling like there's a weight on me at all times. Thank you. Yeah, it's a really great question. I think one, a lot of us can, you know, really connect to our earlier DM was basically about that. Someone who maybe wasn't thinking in these terms along the way and things got too far and uh, too deep. And that's what we want to keep checking in on uh, every day, checking in on ourselves. But that's why I keep saying build in self-care, joy, pleasure, and rest. If we can build those things in some form every single day, we're already doing the work of decreasing our stress and we're already doing the work of making sure we might not get as far along as needing days off. And it's also a good way to build some resilience. So that's always my first entry point. Are you resting? People keep thinking that they maybe need more active things like working out. No, often right now we are overextended. We are exhausted. We need rest. You need to rest. That's number one thing. You're stressed, rest. Stress means I'm encountering too many triggers. Stressed means I'm exhausted and overburdened. So we need to rest. So that's number one. Number two, stop putting things on your calendar to the best of your ability. Cancel plans. If anyone reaches out, say, ah, oh, I can't put anything else on my calendar for the next week, or please reach out next month, I'm overloaded. It's okay to set boundaries and say no. I personally am putting nothing else on my schedule for at least the next month. People are reaching out about quotes and podcasts and articles and all sorts of things for me, and I'm saying no, I'm resting. I'm unloading, I'm taking things off my calendar, I'm burnt out. So that's how we get, we keep you know ahead of it. Also, joy and pleasure every single day. Eat that cupcake, eat that pint of ice cream, stay up another hour enjoying that movie. Whatever it is you need to do, joy and pleasure every single day. Those are the three most powerful things we can do. And finally, sleep. We need more sleep. Maybe you need nine hours, 10 hours. Maybe you need to go to bed early. Maybe you need to sleep in, right? We need to be comfortable with things changing right now. Our sleep schedule is not going to be maybe the ideal one it was before. Maybe we're going to work out only three days a week versus five because we need to sleep in. Maybe we're going to take a full week off to sleep in and rest. We can't be overworking our systems all day long and then go burn them out by doing more. We need to be doing less. So that's what I'm going to tell you. Do less. When I hear things like yoga, when I hear things like puzzles, that can be exhausting. Diets, diet's not going to help you. You need to be eating things that don't stress you out. If you're overthinking your food, you're overloading your system. We need to let go a little bit, not care as much. Eat those Oreos. It's okay if you put weight on. It's okay to put weight on. That doesn't mean you're unhealthy. That doesn't mean you're bad or wrong. Health is not tied to weight, okay? We don't send our doctor a selfie. It's not an aesthetic thing. We have to go get tests, labs. <laughs> How's your lung capacity, your heart? I want us to move. I want us to eat nutritious foods, but we also need to consider the mental impact and not stress ourselves out. So that's the top things I'm going to tell you. The quality of sleep and getting enough sleep, focusing on joy and pleasure and rest, but we can't completely eliminate, right? Like in the context of stress from the pandemic or financial insecurity, whatever is going on, we're, that, that's real. And that won't be alleviated until that issue is removed. And so some of it is just managing and some of it is just keeping our head above water. There's, we can't remove, if we can't remove the stressor, then we can't necessarily always remove the stress. And so for those that are, you know, again, worrying about COVID and things like that, we can take time away. We can read the stats. We can look at the research, but as far as things like maybe being overloaded because the kids are home, you just got to kind of let go a little bit. You know what I mean? Drop the bar for yourself, drop the bar for them. That's, that's the key. That's the key to getting through this. Cause uh, we still got a little bit longer and further to go. All right, y'all. That is our show. We'll be back tomorrow night and we'll be talking about how to do a mental health check-in. Super important. 
we're going to also be talking about what is mental health and uh, how to do a, a check-in. It's really important stuff. Um, also, we're going to be talking about tomorrow on tomorrow's show how to uh, have a great first date. But that's skills that apply for everyone. So definitely check in on that one. Um, we'll be back tomorrow night. We're always back. Check out past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out with me. Focus tonight on some pleasure, please. And uh, enjoy the rest of your night. And be kind to everyone. Letting go, right? We're letting go, we're letting go, we're letting go. All right, y'all, have a good rest of your night.